Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The night was as dark as the tales that haunted our small Native American community. People had begun to vanish, leaving nothing but whispered rumors about the legendary Skinwalker. A shape-shifting creature that fed on human flesh. As the gifted shaman of our tribe, I, Auntie, was entrusted with the responsibility of uncovering the truth behind these sudden disappearances. With every step I took in my investigation, the mystery seemed to deepen. The stories I heard from my ancestors weighed heavily on my heart as I discovered that the Skinwalker was not only real but also connected to an ancient curse placed upon our tribe generations ago. In order to save my people from the clutches of this malevolent creature and break the curse, I had to embark on a perilous spiritual journey to confront the cryptid. I prepared for this journey by gathering sacred herbs and performing rituals to protect me from the dark forces I was about to face. My journey took me through the dense forest and into the realm of the supernatural, where I felt the chilling presence of the skinwalker lurking in the shadows. As I ventured deeper into the heart of the darkness, 
the creature finally revealed itself in all its terrifying glory. The battle between us was fierce, and despite my spiritual strength and knowledge, the skinwalker proved to be too powerful. Beaten and battered, I lay on the ground awaiting my fate at the hands of the creature. But the skinwalker did not deliver the final blow. Instead, it spared my life, explaining that it had already destroyed my village and that it no longer needed to kill any more people. The creature's chilling words echoed in my ears as it disappeared into the night. Devastated and disheartened, I made my way back to my village, fearing the worst. Upon my return, I discovered that the skinwalker's words were true. My village was gone. My people, the tribe that I had sought to protect, had vanished without a trace. All that remained were the echoes of laughter and life that once filled the air. As I stood among the ruins of my once thriving community, I realized that my quest to save them had been in vain. Despite my failure, I vowed to honor the memory of my people and to carry on their legacy. I would not allow the Skinwalker's destruction to be the end of our story. Instead, I would dedicate my life to ensuring that the tales of my tribe would live on, a testament to their strength, resilience, and the power of the human spirit. I work in a pub that's about two miles away in the next village. I usually finish work late. 1-2 a.m., and I have to cycle home. The only route is a small road that goes through somewhat large woods. There's a one-mile stretch that has absolutely no streetlights. It's pitch black. As I was cycling through the woods, I start hearing this screeching sound, similar to a small animal dying. It scared the shit out of me, so I started pedaling fast. I continued to hear it, and it seemed as it was progressing towards me. I used my phone's camera light to navigate, although it isn't impossible to see without it. I point my phone behind me, and I swear I caught sight of some humanoid creature on all fours running at me. Call it mind games, but this was pretty vivid. I continue to cycle as fast as I can. I've been cycling long distances from a young age. I'd like to say I'm quite fast. Yet I continue to hear the screeching and the light padding of the footsteps of whatever is chasing me. I try to turn my phone light off, and after a few seconds I manage to do so. The padding becomes quieter, and I hear one last screech from whatever it was. I have never been so scared in all my life. I am 16 years of age, and it is 427. About an hour ago, I was mowing a friend of the family's lawn and kept noticing these rocks being thrown at me. I thought that the weed eater was hitting these rocks and didn't think much of it. Well, about two minutes later, I could smell this awful body odor smell and thought I must really have bad body odor. So I checked and I couldn't smell anything and the rocks started to come back at me again. But this time I could hear laughter but like a retarded person. I kept looking around to see if anyone was around messing with me and nobody was there. So I just kept moaning and smelling that awful smell. And the rocks started being thrown at me, and I looked over in the woods and trees and saw this huge creature behind a tree. My hair went straight up on end, and I ran like a bat out of hell. When I got to the door, I looked back, and it was running through the trees and the trees. 
and bushes were moving fast, like in Jurassic Park. I know it wasn't a bear. It was too tall, and no bear can run that fast on two legs, if they can run on two legs at all. It was about eight to nine feet tall. I was a park ranger in the Ozarks, and I loved the beauty of the mountains and the tranquility of the deep woods. The sun was setting, casting a warm golden light over the landscape as I received a distress call from a park visit. They said that something strange was happening in the woods, and I knew that I had to check it out. As I drove my jeep through the dense forest, I could feel a sense of unease settle over me. The trees were tall and ancient their branches reaching up to the sky like twisted fingers. The air was thick with the scent of pine and moss, and the rustling of leaves was the only sound that broke the silence. I arrived at the location of the distress call, and as I stepped out of my jeep, I heard a low growl. I spun around, my hand reaching for my flashlight, but I saw nothing. Suddenly, a figure leapt out of the shadows and attacked me and I realized that I was facing a creature I'd never seen before. It was a monster, a twisted, deformed thing with razor-sharp claws and glowing red eyes. I fought for my life, dodging and weaving as the creature attacked me again and again. I managed to grab my gun and shoot it, but it only made it angrier. It howled in rage, and then disappeared into the woods. I was confused and frightened, and I had no idea what had just attacked me. I called for backup, and soon a team of rangers arrived to search the woods. But we found nothing, no sign of the creature, no trace of its attack. The only evidence was the torn fabric of my shirt and the bruises on my body. I knew that the Ozarks were full of mysteries and secrets, but I never imagined that there was something like this lurking in the woods. I was determined to find out what had attacked me and why, but I knew that I was facing a dangerous and deadly enemy. The woods had become a place of terror, and I was no longer sure if I was safe. Days passed, and a team of scientists and wildlife experts were brought in to investigate the strange creature. The woods were scoured for any signs of the monster, but there was no trace of it. As the days went by, more and more people began to report strange sightings and attacks, and it was clear that there was something dangerous and unpredictable in the woods. Some said that it was a monster, while others claimed that it was a ghost or a demon. I was still haunted by my encounter with the creature, and I felt a deep sense of responsibility to protect the park and its visitors. I knew that I had to find a way to stop the monster before it could hurt anyone else. So I began to do my own research, consulting with Native American elders and local hunters who had lived in the area for generations. They told me stories of a mysterious beast that was said to roam the Ozarks, a monster that was half man and half beast. They called it the Skookum, and it was said to be a creature of evil with a thirst for human flesh. I was skeptical at first, but as I dug deeper, I began to realize that there might be some truth to the legends. I pieced together the clues, and finally I had a plan. I would lure the skookum out of hiding, using myself as bait, and then trap it once and for all. I set out into the woods, armed with my wits and my courage, and I waited for the monster to come. I could feel its presence, could hear its breathing in the darkness. 
And then, with a roar, it attacked. I fought the skookum with everything I had, and in that moment I knew that this was the fight of my life. The battle was long and brutal, but finally I was able to injure the monster. Unfortunately, the beast fled, and we never saw it again. In any case, the Ozarks were safe once again. I was hailed as a hero, but I knew that the real heroes were the people who had helped me, the people who had believed in me and given me the strength to face the monster. And though I was proud of what I had accomplished, I could never forget the fear and the darkness of that night when I faced the skookum in the heart of the Ozark. It was a time of fear and uncertainty in our secluded Native American village, nestled deep within Red Creek Valley. Mysterious and gruesome animal attacks had left us all terrified. Our local folklore spoke of an ancient, unknown predator that had once terrorized our ancestors, a cryptid known as the Shadow Stalker. As the village's skilled hunter, I, Vincha, took it upon myself to track down the elusive beast. But as I embarked on my mission, strange and inexplicable events began to unfold, objects moving on their own, disembodied voices and spectral apparitions haunting the woods. Fear and paranoia gripped our village as I became determined to uncover the truth behind the legends of the Shadowstalker. With courage and persistence, I delved deeper into the history of my people, seeking answers from the village's elders and exploring sacred sites hidden within the valley. As I pieced together the clues, I uncovered a long-buried family secret. The restless spirit of my great-grandfather, who was killed a hundred years prior, had taken the form of the Shadow Stalker. Consumed by anger and a thirst for vengeance, his spirit had been unable to find peace and had been terrorizing the village as the cryptid. The day of the climactic confrontation arrived and I faced the Shadow Stalker, armed with the knowledge and the spiritual guidance I had gained throughout my journey. Through intense battle I managed to kill a cryptid. I used an arrow which had a poisonous tip with my blood. It managed to kill a beast and I managed to communicate with my great-grandfather's spirit, offering forgiveness and understanding. In doing so I was able to help his spirit find peace, releasing the village from the terror of the Shadow Stalker. With the cryptid defeated and my great-grandfather's spirit finally at rest, I returned to the village as a hero. The people of Red Creek Valley were able to put the fear and paranoia behind them, embracing the lessons of unity and the importance of honoring their ancestors. And as the village recovered, I continued to honor my great-grandfather's memory, ensuring that the story of the Shadow Stalker would be remembered as a cautionary tale for generations to come. I just got back from a week-long trip to Florida. My fiance and I were visiting her parents, who own a home in Boca Raton, and I was hoping to get a fishing trip in with her father, Jim, while I was there. The Everglades aren't too far from where they live, and her dad owned a small boat. And since he's retired, he spends a good deal of time taking it out on some of the local lakes. I ran the idea of fishing the glades past him, and he seemed to be just as excited as me. Despite being a vicinity, he had actually never fished it. Well, a few days after we got there, we made arrangements and set out early in the morning. Towing his boat behind us, 
It wasn't one of the boats from the movies, you know, with the big fans. It was a nice little 14-foot tracker, which was perfect for the narrow waterways. We're both kind of anti-technology YouTube videos and computer solitaire is the extent of our interest. So like fools, neither one of us brought a satellite GPS and we both left our phones in the truck. Anyway, we got to the glades and got the boat in the water around nine. We planned to fish around too and then head back home and be there in time for dinner. We hadn't planned on getting lost. It was a blast at first. We saw a few alligators, which I'd never seen in the wild. We stopped to fish a few times and even caught a few large moves each. I guess around 1 p.m. when we figured we should start heading back in the direction we came. We were both adept at navigation and kept aware of when and where we had turned, but it didn't really help. We had seriously underestimated the labyrinth of channels and canals, and it didn't take us long to realize that we'd gotten lost in the maze of the Everglades. We weren't panicking yet, but by this time it was well past 2 p.m., and we couldn't tell if we'd made any progress or not. We had just come around the turn of yet another channel when I saw something bizarre. Some thing that had been standing along one of the banks dove into the water just as we made the turn. I only caught a glimpse of it, but it had been standing upright on two legs and had a green, scaly complexion. I convinced myself that it was just an alligator and maybe the sun had caught it at a weird angle. Besides, we had bigger problems. The sun was getting low in the sky and we hadn't seen a single other person. We didn't have much water and we were still completely lost. I really regret thinking I was macho enough to not need a GPS. A few canals later I happened to turn around and caught sight of something in the water right behind the boat. It looked like an alligator. But it was moving way too fast and it was speeding directly towards me. I was in the back on the motor and I gunned the throttle in surprised response. A bunch of things happened at once. Not expecting the sudden shift in speed, my soon-to-be father-in-law fell back against the side of the boat and tumbled into the water. At the same time, the creature that had been tailing us rose out of the water and lashed out toward me with a set of razor-sharp claws. When I say rose... I mean, stood up on two legs like a human would. Gunning the engine is probably what saved me as the swipe fell short. I burst forward a few feet and got a good look at this thing. The water was around five feet deep there, and this thing was standing up the water line around its waist. It had a pair of thickly muscled arms, each sporting one of those clawed fists that had almost decapitated me. Greenish-black scales ran the length of it, and then terminated in a flat head, jaw open, bearing two rows of serrated teeth. I saw Jim hit the water and immediately start splashing around. I knew he could swim, but being launched from a boat into alligator-infested waters is probably the kind of thing to cause you to panic. The only problem was that this thing was between me and Jim. I couldn't leave him, and I couldn't get around this thing. There was no room. I'm not saying I'm brave, because I certainly didn't feel courageous in the moment. But I turned the boat around quickly, twisted the throttle as far as I could, and charged. The bow of the boat lifted into the air. I couldn't see past it, but I felt an impact, and the boat shuddered, almost tipping to the left. I let go of the throttle and pulled alongside the frantic dim and grabbed his arm. I started hauling him in and looked back over my shoulder. The wake from the short burst was lapping against both sides of the channel. 
and thick rings of water flowing away from where I guessed the creature had been. It was nowhere in sight. I brought Jim into the boat and not too gently threw him to the deck, plopped back down next to the motor, and sped away up the channel. We didn't see the creature again. After a few hours, we eventually ran into a group of guys who led us back to the boat ramp. We were only about twenty minutes away and had pretty much been going in circles the whole time. We each had about a dozen missed calls from our wives. I think Jim was pretty upset with me, but eventually he came around and laughed it off. He had never actually seen the thing and thought I had just overreacted to an alligator. But I know that it wasn't. Alligators don't stand on two feet and they don't attack with their claws. I don't know if it's a species of animal that hasn't been encountered yet, or a weird human-alligator hybrid, but whatever it is, it probably shouldn't exist. My neighbor's friend, who lives far, far up Rocky Point Road, came over to my neighbor's house the other day all shooken up. My neighbor's son was the one that told me this story. Apparently my neighbor's friend was driving down Rocky Point Road sometime that morning. I got the impression that it was early in the morning and a ape-like person, only four or five feet tall, ran across the road. I am guessing on two feet and then grabbed the top of the bank on one side of the rope and pulled the rest of its body up and swung his legs under his arms and pushed itself into a run, and it ran off into the woods. I didn't get a very good description of what he thought it looked like, except that it was about four, five feet tall and had long arms. My neighbor told me that a few other people who live up there have seen the exact same thing. My neighbor, I'm not sure how long ago, also saw this thing which he described was around four feet tall and had an et-like from the movie. Monkey face with long arms and short legs. I think he might have said it was black or brownish, but I'm not sure. He saw it about 500 feet from where his friend saw it. I plan him on going up there with a friend or two and just hanging out with a camera in hopes of catching evidence of it or just finding out what it is. I think... This is something definitely worthy of a small investigation, even though it doesn't sound like the normal eight, ten-foot-tall Bigfoot sighting. You should talk to my neighbor on the phone at least and get some other people's numbers who might have more information. I just got back from a week-long trip to Florida. My fiancé and I were visiting her parents who own a home in Boca Raton and I was hoping to get a fishing trip in with her father Jim while I was there. The Everglades aren't too far from where they live, and her dad owned a small boat. And since he's retired, he spends a good deal of time taking it out on some of the local lakes. I ran the idea of fishing the glades past him, and he seemed to be just as excited as me. Despite being a vicinity, he had actually never fished it. Well, a few days after we got there, we made arrangements and set out early in the morning, towing his boat behind us. It wasn't one of the boats from the movies, you know, with the big fans. It was a nice little 14-foot tracker, which was perfect for the narrow waterways. We're both kind of anti-technology YouTube videos, and computer solitaire is the extent of our interest. Select fools, neither one of us brought a satellite GPS, and we both left our phones in the truck. Anyway, we got to the glades and got the boat in the water around nine. 
We planned to fish around too and then head back home and be there in time for dinner. We hadn't planned on getting lost. It was a blast at first. We saw a few alligators which I'd never seen in the wild. We stopped to fish a few times and even caught a few large mouths each. I guess around 1 p.m. when we figured we should start heading back in the direction we came. We were both adept at navigation and kept aware of when and where we had turned, but it didn't really help. We had seriously underestimated the labyrinth of channels and canals, and it didn't take us long to realize that we'd gotten lost in the maze of the Everglades. We weren't panicking yet, but by this time it was well past 2 p.m., and we couldn't tell if we'd made any progress or not. We had just come around the turn of yet another channel when I saw something bizarre, some thing that had been standing along one of the banks dove into the water just as we made the turn. I only caught a glimpse of it, but it had been standing upright on two legs and had a green scaly complexion. I convinced myself that it was just an alligator and maybe the sun had caught it at a weird angle. Besides, we had bigger problems. The sun was getting low in the sky and we hadn't seen a single other person. We didn't have much water and we were still completely lost. I really regret thinking I was macho enough to not need a GPS. A few canals later, I happened to turn around and caught sight of something in the water right behind the boat. It looked like an alligator, but it was moving way too fast and it was speeding directly towards me. I was in the back on the motor and I gunned the throttle and surprised response. A bunch of things happened at once. Not... Expecting the sudden shift in speed, my soon-to-be father-in-law fell back against the side of the boat and tumbled into the water. At the same time, the creature that had been tailing us rose out of the water and lashed out toward me with a set of razor-sharp claws. When I say rose, I mean stood up on two legs like a human would. Gunning the engine is probably what saved me as the swat fell short. I burst forward a few feet and got a good look at this thing. The water was around five feet deep there, and this thing was standing up the water line around its waist. It had a pair of thickly muscled arms, each sporting one of those clawed fists that had almost decapitated me. Greenish-black scales ran the length of it and then terminated in a flat head. Jaw open, bearing two rows of serrated teeth. I saw Jim hit the water and immediately start splashing around. I knew he could swim, but being launched from a boat into alligator-infested waters is probably the kind of thing to cause you to panic. The only problem was that this thing was between me and Jim. I couldn't leave him, and I couldn't get around this thing. There was no room. I'm not saying I'm brave, because I certainly didn't feel courageous in the moment. But I turned the boat around quickly, twisted the throttle as far as I could, and charged. The bow of the boat lifted into the air. I couldn't see past it, but I felt an impact, and the boat shuddered, almost tipping to the left. I let go of the throttle and pulled alongside the frantic Jim and grabbed his arm. I started hauling him in and looked back over my shoulder. The wake from the short burst was lapping against both sides of the channel, and thick rings of water flowing away from where I guessed the creature had been. It was nowhere in sight. I brought Jim into the boat and not too gently threw him to the deck, plopped back down next to the motor, and sped away up the channel. We didn't see the creature again. After a few hours, we eventually ran into a group of guys who led us back to the boat ramp. 
We were only about 20 minutes away and had pretty much been going in circles the whole time. We each had about a dozen missed calls from our wives. I think Jim was pretty upset with me, but eventually he came around and laughed it off. He had never actually seen the thing and thought I had just overreacted to an alligator, but I know that it wasn't. Alligators don't stand on two feet and they don't attack with their claws. I don't know if it's a species of animal that hasn't been encountered yet or a weird human-alligator hybrid, but whatever it is, it probably shouldn't exist. This happened in the summer of 2020 in Lawrence County, along Blaine Creek in eastern Kentucky. My mom's home, where I grew up, is situated in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains. There are no houses or neighbors within half a mile of her house. The area is simply beautiful mountains. One night, her old dog was barking, whimpering and growling. He just wouldn't stop acting up. My mom was confused, since there were no outside noises that she herself could hear. The dog was pacing back and forth to the door and windows. After thirty minutes or so, she decided to grab her flashlight and go outside to make sure everything was okay. No animals had been messing with her trash can, so she figured her dog was picking up the smell of a raccoon or other nocturnal critter. She scanned her yard in the creek and didn't see anything out of place. So she turned to go back into the house, and that's when she saw it. I will give the best description that I can from what she told me. I've never seen it myself, and hope I never do. She said it was standing on its hind legs. These hind legs looked like an animal's, but the front looked more human. It had patches of long, light-colored fur all over the body and legs. The top looked like a humanoid man, while the lower part looked like an animal. The face was very odd. She called it an alien apeman. She said that it stood about seven feet in height and was muscular. She stood paralyzed with fear, shining her light on it. It looked at her. Then it started walking on all fours out of her yard, towards the back and toward the mountain. It did stop and looked back at her a few times, but finally disappeared into the darkness. There was another encounter. One night, a few weeks later, her dog began acting up again. She decides to stay inside. She turned her lights off and looked out of her dining room window. There was a pole light in the yard. She was able to see it again, although it was further away from her and not as detailed. She said it had the same shape and was the same thing she saw just weeks earlier. She backed away from the window for a few minutes, then looked out again. It was gone. After that, she would walk out onto the back porch and fire her shotgun at dusk, hoping the creature would heed her warning. It's been over two years now, and she still fires the shotgun every early evening. The creature hasn't returned. I have a friend who worked as a forest ranger in the United States for a few years. He's told me some freaky stories about what he's found at work. I'm convinced that neither all forest rangers are in this huge inside joke to tell the most crazy stories about their work to anybody who asks about it, or the woods hide much more than one would think. One of his stories that's always living rent Free in my head is when he told me about this weird pit that he found in the middle of the woods. He said that they had received reports of this dug-up pit. 
Apparently, some colleagues had found it while patrolling. Just a huge, large pit in the middle of the woods. He went to check it out, and sure enough, the pit was there, just a hole in the floor about the size of a car. But right in the middle of the pit, there was a vintage record player just there. He picked it up, and it seemed to be in mint condition. He took it to his office. The other rangers there just filled it up. And nobody ever came to ask about the record player, so he kept it. Next week, they got a complaint from their superiors as to why nobody had filled the pit yet. Confused, my friend assured that he and his colleagues had already filled it up. They assured them that the pit was still there. They were sent to inspect, and sure enough, it was again as if nobody had even touched it. No trace of the dirt that they had even put on top of it. There was only one difference, and this time on the middle of it, one of those very vintage cigarette cases. My friend picked it up and once again filled the pit, figuring somebody must be up to some funny business here. Maybe some rituals or something, but none of it made sense. Again, nobody asked about the cigarette case, not that he'd expect to, so he kept it. A few days go by, and they get a report the pit is back again. Now they're having none of it. They go and carry a small security camera, strapping it to a nearby tree, finally catching the pit, digging maniac. When they get there, they find a small, old-looking, leather-bound notebook. Once again, my friend grabs it, takes it with him. They install the camera, fill up the pit, and leave. The pit never came back once the camera was placed. Whoever was digging it chickened out and left it alone. However, my friend's curiosity did not die there. He took the things to an expert and confirmed they were all genuine and in extremely good conditions. A weird place for a vintage collector to store his treasures. But the strangest thing of all was that he found the journal. He opened it up and found a newspaper cut out. It read, April 17, 1972, and on the journal there was only one phrase written. It worked. Another story he told me is about this kid that had come stumbling out of the woods one day. He was somewhat dirty, but it just looked like a normal amount of dirty as a kid would be after playing around all day. He was wearing a t-shirt and jeans, so nothing out of the ordinary. When the rangers found him, they took him to one of their offices to ask about his parents, how he had ended up there. The kid answered he was just playing in the woods and got distracted by chasing a beetle. He had lost his parents and his brother and ended up where they found him. He seemed completely normal, but when he spoke, he had a strange accent, as if English wasn't his mother tongue. But had learned it very well. They asked for the name of his parents, and he replied they were called K-98 and D-54. They insisted on their real names, but the kid kept repeating those numbers and did not know what the rangers meant. They asked if he knew their phone numbers, but the kid didn't seem to know what a phone was. He just seemed to slowly get more and more nervous. They kept asking him things to try and help him, about how long ago he had got lost, if he knew exactly where he was before, if he could remember where he had his parents, and where they parked their car, where he was from, but the kid answered nothing. All those words he seemed to have never heard them before, he seemed to be completely lost about it. Suddenly the kid gets up, 
said that he had made a big mistake and promptly exited the office running. The rangers ran after him, but he was fast. He went into the woods and vanished, leaving no trace behind. The rangers went straight inside, but the kid was gone. After searching all afternoon, they figured they were going to need help. They called in search and rescue, conducted extensive searching covering much of the terrain as they could. They never found anything, not even footsteps. Everybody was ready for the parents to show up and asking about their kid at any moment. They never did. Missing posters were placed with his description, also shared on social media. The police even got involved at some point, but the child was never heard from again. Slowly, the search died out. He became a missing person report. No photo, address, or name to go by. Just an extremely generic physical description and the name of his parents, K-98 and D-54. My friend said it became some sort of taboo topic. Nobody wants to think where a lost kid in the forest ended up. The thing is, even if my friend is sure nobody will ever find out what happened, he is convinced that kid was not lost in the woods, but somehow placed there. Perhaps his parents were alien. It's interesting, the whole case surrounding it. After the search died off, everything on social media was pulled. Any documentation released was now redacted. Something about it is very, very fishy.